great message. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts 16. And let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. If you would continue to pray for me physically, I'd appreciate that so much. I don't say much about it publicly. I'm going through a series of uh, esophagus tests that put me to sleep every 10 weeks and go down there and look at the beautiful inside of my body. I looked at the diagram, looked at the pictures they made, and I looked better on the inside than the outside. I'm thinking about turning myself inside out. Maybe be a far better job. But uh, I'm glad for God's provision. You never know what you're going to face in life, no matter how long you live. There are always different battles, different seasons of life. And we go through them. Brother Willie's been going through one recently. Other folks have testified about things they've been going through with, like my Brother Mike and others. God's faithful, no matter what the end result is. God is faithful. All He wants us to do is to be faithful to Him. They trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust in Him. Father, we thank You for the Word of God, the book of Acts. Thank You for the text I'll read in just a few moments. Help us, Lord, that we be able to glean the truth that will help us along life's journey. And we'll give You praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Let me read a passage of Scripture to you from the book of Acts, chapter 16. It's a great chapter. It deals with the early church, and Paul and Silas were on their way. Uh, verse 41 went through Syria and Sicilia, confirming the churches in chapter 15. Come chapter 16, they are introduced to some more ministries, including a man by the name of Timothy, who's going to join them right lately or later, later and be a part of the work of God, of Apostle Paul, and be a real special blessing to Paul. Down in verse 5, chapter 16. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Then you begin to read about various visions, various truth. The Macedonian call, come over and help us. They were going one way and they had a call to go some other way. Down in verse 8, come over into Macedonia and help us. And then you find they went to Philippi, which was the chief city of the part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Then a young lady, or lady, I say young, certain woman, it says in verse 14, 14 by the name of Lydia, professed Christ as her Savior, the Lord opened her, door, her heart, and she attended the things which were spoken by the Apostle Paul. And then the demons got after Paul and Silas, and uh, the damsel was using divination and fortune-telling and demon possession to do various things, and Paul finally got tired of it, what she was doing cast the demon out of the other lady and sent a tremendous blessing throughout the town. And the people got upset. Multitude rose up against them. Verse 22. And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Talking about the apostle Paul and Silas and perhaps Timothy. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, 
he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are still here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me read that passage again. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke, spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them out of the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I will talk today about a very simple statement, a simple subject. Not be complicated, not be deep at all. I'm not very deep anyhow. But the Bible talks about the simplicity of salvation. You get over to the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about the simplicity that's in Christ. We stumble over the simplicity that's in Christ. What's it mean to be saved? What does it really mean to be saved? My conclusion after these 50-some years of the ministry, 52 here and over 55 preaching, 56 preaching the gospel, that many folks are in church but never been saved. For many folks have been made decisions for Christ who never been saved. And we need to re- let God search our heart and our life and look in the inside. It's not hard to get saved. As a matter of fact, it's very simple. When you're lost, you want to be found. I'm reminded of the young boy that was crying in London, England. He was sitting on the curb and just crying his tears, crying his eyes out. The policeman saw him sitting there and he said, son, what's the matter? He said, I don't know. He said, mister, I can't find my way home. He said, I'm lost. I don't know how to get home. He says, what do you live close to? He says, well, he says, there's a, there's a big old church there and has a cross on top of it. He, he said, the policeman, if you get me to that cross, I can find my way home. Well, what a truth that is. If we can get folk to the cross of Calvary, they can find their way home. Nothing worse in all the world than being lost and dying in your sins. Realizing you're going to spend a crisis eternity in a bridge called hell, the place of the damned, how sad it is. Isaiah 35, 8 talks about the king's highway. said that it's so simple that a warfaring man, though a fool, should err therein. I'm glad little children could be saved, all God's people said. I asked the other night, another day, let me ask again. How many of you are saved below the 20? Would you raise your hand, please? Hold them real high. Would you wave them at me? Say below the 20, all right? God bless you. Put your hands down. How many of you are saved beyond the age of 30? Would you raise your hand? You was 30 or above. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Take your hands down. If you were saved over the age of 40, you may be in that same number over 40 you got saved. You was 40. Okay, 1, 2, 3, 3. All right. If you were saved over 50 before you got saved, would you raise your hand? Nobody? How many feels like you was 50 when you got saved? <laughs> They've done surveys in thousands and thousands of congregations of Christian people. And every statistic will prove that most people are saved below the age of 15. In all statistics. You got in later than that, thank God for His grace. You got in earlier for that, thank God for His grace. I'm glad I got saved as a child. I've not been down the road some folks have. I'm going to testify just a minute. I'm glad I got saved when I was a young man. 
I didn't understand a lot of things. All I knew, God loved me and Jesus Christ down the cross for my sins. Raised in a preacher's home, but that wasn't good enough. I didn't go to him because I was or going to go to him because I was a preacher's son. And I went to church all my life. But on that day, I'm glad that I realized that God loved me. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for me personally. I'm glad as a small boy, I was able to give my life to Jesus Christ. That church that Brother Brian alluded to in Sunday School, Cranberry Baptist Church, where my brother pastored for so many years. My dad pastored there for seven years. That's where I got saved. That's where I got born again. That's where I got right with God. That's where I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. After I did that, I began to wonder, after I got older, did I really understand as a child? So I go back and relive that testimony, relive my day when I trusted God as my Savior. And I'm grateful that I did. But sometimes you have to get the assurance of your salvation. How many of you ever doubted your salvation? Raise your hand. Even, even adults sometimes doubt their salvation. Not everybody goes through life without doubting. But I'm glad God is the master of doubt. can help you overcome and give you some hard rock uh, courage in your soul to know where you've been and where you're at and what you're doing. And I'm grateful for that today. And so the Apostle Paul and Silas were going into the cities. And they, usually they said about the Apostle Paul, he was looking for the nearest jail instead of the hotel because that's where he usually ended up in jail before it was all over with. They beat them <clears throat> for delivering a lady of her, of, her, of her demonism and seeing people get right with God. They got upset in town, and so they beat Apostle Paul and Silas. The Bible says put them in the inner prison and charged them, kept, put them there, put a jailer over their care to watch after them, verse 23. And he was to take care of them, be sure if they're in his charge, and if they ever got out, he'd probably die as a jailer if they escaped. And the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Uh, what we would do probably at midnight, if I were in jail, I'd be grumbling. I'd say, when are they going to get me out of here? How much is the bond? How come the preacher hadn't come to see me yet? He ran at the midnight hour, and they prayed and sang praises unto God. Did I just tell you they'd just been beaten almost half to death? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you about real salvation that's genuine to work in the daytime. It'll work at the midnight hour. Yeah. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Thank God for that. Go back to my testimony now. You see these lips? I've never had a cuss word come across these lips that I know of. I've thought about it a few times. I used to say, if you write it down, I might have signed it, but I've never cursed. I'm talking about curse words. I'm talking about taking God's name in vain. I've never said that in my life. I never used some of the vernacular some folks have used about certain words we use in cursing somebody out. I've never cursed from these lips that I know of. Thought about it, maybe crossed my mind, but then I know that's just as bad in many ways, but I've never said a curse word. I've never drank a bottle of beer from this lips, never touched beer. I have no idea what it tastes like. I've been around enough. My daddy was a preacher. He dealt with the drunks all the time. We helped drag drunks out of the out of the yard and put them back in their house and Drunks would come by the house, and, and I used to think about that when we were kids. These drunk guys, they'd stay, strike up to the house. Had one guy, he came up, he'd been drinking, he won a lot of money in the gambling. And he come back and see my daddy, he said, he said, Mr. Pauly, he said, I won this money a while ago, and I want to give it to the Lord. He won in a gambling game. I think it was several thousand dollars. He said, I want to give it to the church, so I want you to have it. And my dad hesitated a little bit, and he said, okay, give it to me. It's been the devil's hands long enough. We're going to take it. 
and he took the money from the old drunk. And, you know, whether that was right or wrong, I'm not sure if it was or not. That's where it come from. But it had been the devil's hands long enough, amen? If some drunk come up tomorrow and says, Preacher, we'll give you enough money to finish your gold here, and I want you to have it. I won it last night in a gambling game. I'd probably take If he won a lottery, I'd probably take it. Now, I wouldn't pay the lottery, and I wouldn't gamble to get it. But there's no sense letting a guy run good money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with money. It's not even one way or the other. Anyhow, that's another subject. I never drank a bottle of beer in my life. Never drank a can of beer. Have no idea what it tastes like, smells like. It's enough to make you sick if you can smell it. At least I've experienced that in my own life, being around guys who drank. Then as a pastor, I've had many of a guy knock on my door at night who was drunk. I'm glad I didn't get that habit when I was a kid. I'm not saying everybody's bad. That's terrible because they got drunk or they drank liquor. I'm just glad I never did touch my body. I'm glad I never touched my lips. I've been pure as related to sexual sins uh, prior to my salvation, after my salvation, until I got married. I'm glad for that. Oh, I have my thoughts like everybody else does. Somebody says, Preacher, I never had an evil thought in all my life. Well, God bless you. <laughs> You're a better man and better woman than most of us are. Most people have evil thoughts even after saved. It's why it's difficult sometimes to live a Christian life because the devil bombards the mind with everything he can and will throw every temptation he possibly can at you. The devil can't convert you back, but he can divert you. That's one of his goals in life. So I'm glad that I've been pure as far as the outward goes, but they had to realize I was, I was a sinner. You say, did you ever see him before you got saved? I got saved when I was nine years old. Sure did. There were times in my life I disobeyed my parents. There's some times that I said things I shouldn't say that were not necessarily cuss words. I had a spirit of rebellion in my life as a young boy because I wanted to do my thing my way. And my daddy, he helped solve some of that uh, with the Board of Education, apply the seat of learning. I learned a lot of things the hard way. And so I'm grateful for every spanking I got. I'm grateful for everything they dealt with. But I had to realize I was a sinner before I got saved. You had to realize you were a sinner before you got saved. You can't go to heaven no other way. You've got to realize, A, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. So what is the meaning of salvation? God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does it mean to be saved? What does it truly mean to be saved? So the midnight hour came, and they were singing and praising God. And all of, God, all of a sudden, God tuned in and heard what they were doing down there, Paul and Silas. And the Bible says he sent an earthquake. He said, Amen, so loud. He shook the foundations of the prison. And the whole place was in turmoil, and all the doors flew open, and everyone's bands were loosed miraculously by the hand of God because revival took place at the midnight hour. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of the sleep, seeing the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword, going to take his own life, because he knew if the prisoners escaped, he would die because he was in caretaker for those prisoners. But they said, Do thyself no harm, we're still here. And then they called for a light. And sprang in and came trembling. Here come the prisoner in, or the prisoner, the caretaker. And he shaken to the light, wondering what was going to happen to him. And fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Join the first church at Philippi, and thou shalt be saved. You say, preacher, don't say that in my Bible. Well, it says it in some people's Bible. They think if they can join the church, that they can be saved. And so they'll join a Baptist church and think some way, somehow, because they're a member of a church, that God's going to take them to heaven. 
I'm grateful for local New Testament churches that preach the gospel. I'm grateful for New Testament churches that have been founded and are being founded around the world that preach the gospel, the glorious gospel, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful to God today for our church since 1941. There's been in existence as a church in town, a community church before that. 1941 organized into a local New Testament Bible-believing church. And I'm grateful we're getting ready to celebrate 82 years of a church. But you can have your name on this Faith Baptist row. You can have it on every row in town. You can join every church in town. I remember reading about a guy. He joined every church in town. He joined the Methodists. He joined Church of God. joined the Nazarene. joined the Catholics. joined the Church of Christ. Uh, he joined the Presbyterian. He joined the Lutheran. He joined every church in town. And somebody said, what in the world are you doing joining every church in town? He says, well... I don't know which one's right altogether, but I don't want to miss heaven on technicality. I want to be sure i got all my bases covered, so I'm going to join every church in town. You can join every church in town and have your name on everybody's roll and die in your sins and go to hell because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sirs, what must I do? You must do what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't say you had to be baptized. That come later. He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I'm grateful for baptism. I got baptized twice. I got baptized when I was a child in the Boy Scout Camp Lake outside of Beckley, West Virginia. My dad doing the baptizing. I had the privilege of going to Holy Land years ago. So while I was there, I got baptized in the River Jordan, just a symbolic action to know that Jesus did that there in the old muddy Jordan. So I was baptized there. But I don't go to heaven because I was baptized as a child. I'm glad I followed the Lord and believers' baptism, which identifies me with the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Back in the old days, we didn't have baptisteries in churches. How many grew up when you didn't have baptisteries in churches? You had to take them out to the rivers or the creeks or the ponds. And sometimes I've seen that in West Virginia where we'd go out into an old frozen pond. It was froze thick. You'd have a deacon to get an axe. And he would cut a pathway for the preacher. He'd go out cutting the ice and push the ice back underneath. You'd say, what in the world are you baptized in the wintertime? Winters are long. You want to get baptized before you die. You want to get your Father, Lord, and believers baptism. Doesn't say whether weather's good or bad. We can all postpone, I guess, the summertime when all the ice melts. Anyhow, then they get out there so far, and then they cut a circle, so so round, and then Dad, whoever's doing the conducting of the baptism, they would walk out there with the deacons, and then they baptize in icy water, and they take them into that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and take them under that water that was so icy cold that you'd be frozen probably in a little while if you weren't careful. You say, that's so foolish. Let me testify. Not one time did I ever hear anybody getting sick who got baptized in West Virginia lakes or West Virginia ponds that were frozen over. Not one person ever got sick. I've seen my dad walk out of the baptistry water with his pants almost frozen like cardboard. It was so cold. You say, how foolish. You know what the saints of God were doing? They were shouting on the banks. You know what the man or woman doing that got saved and got baptized now? Not to be saved, but to show obedience to God. They'd raise their hands and say, glory to God. It's not a matter of how cold it is or how hot the water is. If you can do it, do it. I'm not saying it's always conducive to baptize in the wintertime. There may be a better way to do it now. You can go inside the baptistry. We'll turn the heat just right. How many got baptized in a baptistry? Raise your hand. How many got baptized when the, when the temperature, when the, when the gauge was off? What do you call it? When the switch was off and there was no heat. It was just cold. Anybody? Two of you got you got baptized in cold weather. Anybody else? It, that's right. It was off when you got baptized. 
you want us to do it again? Okay, all right. We thought about when we baptized you, thought about holding you down face down. But I'm glad for baptism, which identifies us with the broken body and the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that baptism is an ordinance of the gospel, that we're supposed to do it, and the Bible says to be baptized. I'm not opposed to that. I think you ought to do it. Thank God for those six that were baptized last Sunday. But everybody ought to realize baptism don't get you to heaven. You can get baptized in every creek, every pond, every lake, every river around. The tadpoles know your social security number. That'll not get you into heaven. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas did not say you must be baptized to be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I get to have salvation? How can I get what you guys have got? Because they were praying and praising God at the midnight hour. I think it had an impression upon that guard that night. He heard them singing. He heard them praying. He said, if they got something I ain't got, and I need what they got. And when God said, amen, and the earthquake came and they shook the prison, the foundation fell, or the foundation crumbled, and all the prisoners' doors were open and not one of them left, that was a miracle in itself because God was superintending what was going on in the prison that night. And this young man, this, this man come trembling. He got a light, came trembling before him and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30. And Paul said, I'll tell you what you do, son. You just be good and you'll go to heaven. You just be good. I'm glad God didn't say that. For I asked you a question, how good do you have to be to go to heaven? A Muslim friend of mine said, you've got to be real good. I said, how good is that? He said, you've got to be real, real good. I said, you haven't answered my question. How good is good? He said, well, you've got to be a good Muslim to go to, go to our utopia. And he talked about what it was and what they would have and the virgins and so forth. He said, you've got to be real, real good to enter into the utopia, into the final heaven of a Muslim. See, a Muslim believes you'll have 300 wives when you get to heaven. That don't sound like heaven to me. It may sound like purgatory there for a while. But that's what they believe. They believe that you've got to have so many wives, you'll get in heaven, and you're reaching this... Verona, this place of peace and tranquility. And uh, I said, well, let me ask you this. What if he was 98% good? He said, you got to be real good. I said, well, does that mean i got to be 100%? He said, you got to believe the Koran. You've got to obey what they say. You've got to go through what they teach. And he said, you got to be, I said, I said, are you a good Muslim? He said, I'm not very good. I said, well, where are you going to go when you die? He says, well, I'm not going to go, I probably wouldn't go into the final heaven because I've not been a good Muslim. I'm not a practicing Muslim. I'm just a Muslim by, by, by choice. That's my religion. I said, you know the difference between your religion and my religion? Mine's done. You're trying to do yours. Mine's finished. Mine's finished. Transaction's done. On a cross called Calvary 2,000 plus years ago, the blessed Son of God walked up the mountain by himself with a cross on his shoulder with Simeon helping to carry it. He took it all the way to the top of the hill and laid himself down on that cross and they nailed those nails in his hands and his feet and they put that cross up in a right, upright position and it fell into a hole that had already been pre-dug pre, pre and it come with a thump down 
the flesh tore, the blood poured down until every drop of blood oozed from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ from the top of his head to the sole of his feet until he was a bloody, gory mess that was probably hard to look upon. And those probably that were watching like his mother and other folks probably in disgust and heartbroken wept and cried as they saw the blessed Son of God as a gory piece of meat chopped up, slapped around, pulled his beard out, plucked out his beard, uh, put stripes on his back with the cat and nine tails, uh, put the nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and those subjects, the problem all over his body was going through a cruciating time of dying on the cross of Calvary. I'm simply saying today, somewhere along the way, some folks say you've got to be real good to go to heaven. How good you got to be. The Bible says there's none good. How many times have we heard it? We heard it this week. I hear it every week on visitation. Just about every week you hear this. You try to give somebody a track and they say those words, Tommy. What is it? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. That's what they say. Just said it this week. We was out visiting, I think it was. I'm good. Well, take this and read it. You might give it to somebody. No, I don't need it. I'm good. What do you mean you're good? All of sin and come short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every individual needs goodness, and the only goodness to get you to heaven is the goodness of God. Let's call it righteousness. And the only way I can go to heaven is be clothed in the righteousness of God. And that righteousness I have, which is called goodness, is like filthy rags, Isaiah says. It's good for nothing. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's abominable. My righteousness, my goodness will never get me into heaven. But thank God the righteousness of God, which can clothe me and cover me and give me that that heavenly gift to call salvation and knowing that in my heart that I'm going to heaven when I die makes all the difference in the world and the Bible says what shall I do I just got to be good you cannot be good enough to go to heaven you'll never be good enough to go to heaven as long as you lived you'll never be finalized in this world to say I can go to heaven because I've been real real good you cannot reach that utopia here you cannot reach that mark here you can't be good enough now the Bible says all of sin so you've got to realize you're a sinner and when you realize you're a sinner, you're one step toward getting saved. You cannot be saved until you realize you're a sinner and your goodness cannot save you. Three. I've told this story about the woman down here at the hospital years ago. I went to see her and was talking about her physical pain and problems. And she's getting ready to have surgery. And I asked her, I said, if you died right now, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if you died right now, would you go to heaven? She says, well, I don't know. I said, would you like to know for sure? She said, well, yeah, I would. I said, would you be willing to pray with me and I'll tell you how to be saved? She said, well, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know how. And I said, well, first of all, tell God you're a sorry sinner. Just say, dear God, I'm a sorry sinner. She says, how about, am I supposed to just phrase it like that? If you want to follow me, that's fine. Put it in your own words. Just tell God how sorry you are. She said, well, I'm, dear God, I'm, I'm uh, Lord, I'm not really too bad. I said, tell him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you're good for nothing. Tell him you're a scallywag. She says, I got to tell God, you tell God you're a sinner. She said, dear God, I'm, 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 I'm trying to stutter, I'm trying to stutter intentionally, not accidentally. (laughs) She said, Lord, I'm a, I'm, Preacher, I really, I'm not a bad person. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the Lord of God until you say you're a sinner before God in your heart. You've got to believe it in your heart that you've sinned against God, you transgressed the law of God, and you're in need of salvation. 
And finally, after a long time of going back and forth, and I said, do you want to be saved or not? She says, I do. Would you tell God how sorry you are? And she said, oh God, I'm just a sorry, good for nothing person. Oh God, the half has not been told. She began to spill out her life history. You talk about a woman who's bad. She, she's bad, bad, badder. She was terrible. But in her mind, she wanted to feel like she's good enough to go to heaven because she compared herself with somebody else like other folks. are not. They're bad. I'm not really bad. I'm not bad like John over here, like Joe over here. I'm a pretty good person. And if I compare myself with somebody else, I believe I'd go to heaven. You're not comparing yourself to anybody else. The only comparison you have is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He was perfect and you're not. And when my imperfections come, I've got to trust Christ as my Savior and say, Dear God, I realize my need as a small boy. I lifted my heart and my hand toward the Lord. And the Lord reached down where I was at. And I'm glad that He did and saved me by the good grace of God. I said, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And they may not be many. may not be as mean as some other folks. But then say how mean you got to be. You can be mean, mean, or meanest, but you're still going to be saved. You can be good, good, or goodest. I don't know if that's the superlatives or not. Good, better, or best. Whichever it is, you've still got to come to place in your life. You realize you need Jesus Christ as Savior. The meaning of salvation. The term saved. S-O-D-Z-O in the Greek language. Sodzo. It means to be delivered. Delivered from what? The Bible gives the answer in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And His name shall be called Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. Well, I'm not a bad sinner. He says he will save you from your sins. Not sin, but sins. He shall save you. Here's the problem. People don't like to use the word sin anymore. They want to change sin's name. And so they sometimes come up with some other suggestions. For instance, I was talking about drunkenness a while ago. Drunkenness now is called a disease. Alcoholism. Now, I understand what they're saying. But you say it's a disease. The only way you can get to be an alcoholic is to drink liquor. It don't come any other way. I believe it's. I don't believe it's a disease. I believe it's something you choose to do. It's like drug addicts. You choose to heard today on television that drug addict, heroin addict is a disease, and we treat it like any other physical disease. If they never shot up, they never have that. If they've never taken some drug in their mind or some alcohol in their body, they'd never be there. So they changed the name from a drunkard. The Bible is terminology drunkard. We changed it to make it sound a little better, an alcoholic, and it's a disease. Pregnancy out of wedlock was fornication. Now it's a mistake. And God bless those who go through that sometimes and commit fornication and have a baby out of wedlock. I'm glad God loves them. I pray with many a person over the year who found themselves pregnant, ladies, young ladies and sometimes wondering what was going to happen next. You say, what do you do? Never preach at them. You never condemn them. You say, preacher, they've done something terrible, but God still loves them. And were it not for the grace of God, you could go down that path. So now let's don't talk about the past. Let's talk about the future. How are we going to rebuild your life? It's going to change tremendously. You're going to have a baby on the way. Which will help you all we can. But do you realize what you've done was wrong? Yes. Always realize that when you do something outside the will of God, it's wrong. You don't cover it up. You don't sugarcoat it. Try to make it something that's not. You know, shacking up used to be used to be a word that we heard a lot. Now we call it cohabitating together. Just we're, we're cohabitating, and uh, we are. What's what's the one they ask us sometimes on forms for medical purpose? Are you, who's your significant other? 
I want to put Jesus Christ. I told you about getting the question today. First time I got it on, on the telephone. What gender do you prefer to be called before we go into surgery? Excuse me? What gender do you want to be called? I said, ma'am, let me tell you something. There's only two genders in the whole world. There's male and female, and the one I'm, you're talking to is a male. So put down my gender. M-A-L-E. They probably call that Malay, but it's male. I mean, that's what it is. But we're changing the names of sins to make them sound not so bad. We're using all kind of terminology. Abortion used to be murder. Still is. That's right. We now call it freedom of choice. Nobody has a right to take a baby's life freely. Right. Nobody has a right in the womb to go in and kill a baby that's been conceived by God's permission. And I don't understand all the ramifications. I know all the, the debate that goes around the subject. I'm not here to hurt anybody. But I really believe that if we recognize abortion for what it is, and mothers need to understand that. If you've had an abortion, aren't you glad for God's grace? Amen. I have in my file a letter of a lady who had five abortions and went to our church. Don't sit there like you never committed sins. She said, Preacher, if you go somewhere sometime, you don't have to use my name. But if you want to use the illustration of what I went through having those abortions, it may help somebody else. And I've got the, I still have the letter to this day. How sad. But she got right with God. And she lived for the Lord. She wanted her life to count. But we changed the name. Homosexuality has been changed to sodomy. or It used to be sodomy in the Bible. Now it's altered lifestyle. Gossiping used to be vicious talk. Now it's a prayer request. We redefine sin. Never mind what God says. People are not sick. They're in sin problem. Until they realize they're sin, they won't be right with God. So the penalty of sin, the wage of sin is death. It's called the body of death in Romans 7.24. There's several things they did to a person back in those days when they punished them for high crimes. Sometimes they throw them to the wild animals. I mentioned the other day about some of the persecution of Christians, but un- even somebody in the legal system to crucify somebody that was, un- that was a non-believer, as well as believers, but non-believers, they'd throw the wild animals. Others, they would strap somebody with a dead body. It's interesting. They would convict you were convicted of a high crime, so you're going to be sentenced to die. But you're going to die with the body of death. They would strap a person on your back with leprosy. That person was dying of leprosy, had sores all over the body, and wherever you went down the road, you had to carry that corpse. If when you sat down to eat, you had to have that corpse tied to your body, where it wouldn't fall off. And for whatever days it was, that corpse would hang on your back until they began to infect your body. And a slow, terrible death called leprosy would eat away at a person's body until they eventually just died with somebody else's body attached to their body. And as the longer they went, the body parts began to fall off. Leprosy is a dreaded, terrible disease. Well, the leprosy we're talking about, that's humiliating death. But the leprosy we're talking about today is sin. Sin is the, answer. Sin is the problem, and the answer is the Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The penalty of sin, the pollution of sin, 2 Peter 1, 4. Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'm glad that God can take care of the pollution. He can take care of the penalty. He can take care of the very presence of sin. I mentioned the other day about the old song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Never thought about it much. 
I've sung it all my life. You've heard it most of your life. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy ribbon side which flowed be of sin the double cure. You see that? The double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come I to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure saved from its guilt and power. What a tremendous thought that he would save me from the penalty and save me from the very pollution of sin. Give me victory as I live my life yielding to him. Not that you're perfect in this life, but you begin to be more victorious than you've been. And one day you'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. The method of salvation or the plan of salvation is all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And he told the Philippian jailer, you've got to realize your need. You realize you can be saved. He says, what can I, must I do? He wanted to be saved. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very simple. Wasn't complicated. It's harder for an older person to do it than it is a younger person as we saw a while ago. But admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope of your salvation. Call on Him and He'll save you. It's very simple, but you've got to mean it in your heart. It's not a head religion, it's a heart religion. And the reason why a lot of folks have difficulty in the Christian life because it's not come from the heart. It's something they just signed a card or they prayed a little prayer. And I'm all for praying prayers and I'm all for signing cards when the time comes. But that doesn't get you saved. Somebody said, Preacher, if a child comes to make a decision for Christ, what should be the first question you ask them? Be very careful about putting words in children's mouth. Ask them this question. Why did you come? Why did you come tonight? And they say to be saved. Wonderful, wonderful. Could I ask you a question? Can you name me a sin that you've committed? And I probably wouldn't ask an adult this. Can you tell me a sin you've committed? And they think a little bit and say, shake their head. No, you don't know any sin you've committed. No. You want to be saved? You realize you're a sinner? Can you name me a sin you've committed? If they can't name a sin they've committed, how can they be saved from sin? They've got to admit they're a sinner, yes, but they also got to confess their sin, and that's sin of rejecting Christ. I'd have prayer with them and try to encourage them, and I'd take the time later to, to go in the Bible and show them step by step. But when a child comes, don't say he's saved because he, he don't know why You can ask him, have you ever disobeyed your parents? You know, have you ever lied, et cetera, et cetera, their sins they committed. But many times they come to be, they come because others come. They come because they think it's a thing to do. God wants you to realize you are a sinner. Realize you're lost and dying when you're way to hell. Realize that God loves you and Jesus Christ died for you. Makes all the difference in the world. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Simple, to the point. Don't stumble over the simplicity of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins. Saved from the judgment of God. 
saved from going to hell, the wrath of God, saved for eternity. Place your name in the book of life. When you're going to go to heaven, when you die, makes all the difference in the world. Let's stand together, please, for prayer. Thank you for your patience and your kindness today, Father. I pray you'll honor your word. May you take it and use it for your own glory. Father, we are grateful that salvation is simple. You didn't make it hard, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That even a wayfaring fool and should not err therein. Lord, people can trust Christ as Savior all over the world. It's a matter of coming to the place that they realize they must do it God's way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Heavenly Father, would you help folk today to realize their need of Christ? Help them realize there's only one way to heaven. It's not by church membership, not by baptism, not by being good. It's not by doing the good deeds. It's not by feeding the poor. It's not uh, helping on benevolence. It's doing something for God does not get us there. What He's done for us gets us there. And when Jesus died on the cross, He cried, It's finished. And the plan of salvation was completed by the blood being shed and put the final nail when He arose from the dead. Said me two hours later, He arose from the dead. We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that He died and was rose, risen from the dead. Is the gospel, full gospel, First Corinthians 15. And may God help us to realize our need of Christ and help us to apply the Word of God to it. Save every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. Lord, if somebody is doubting who has been saved, give them that blessed assurance that all is well. If they're not sure, may they make that decision for Christ even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Thank you for standing. Father, bless the invitation now and pray in Jesus' name. May those come that need to come.